I'm glad you're here. Carla, thank you for the wonderful prayer. I want to pray one more time and just ask God to receive our worship and our praise and open our hearts so that we can hear the truth this morning and be changed by it. Heavenly Father, I love you. Thank, for, thank you for this great celebration that we've uh, already experienced in your house. And, and dear Lord, we are celebrating because Jesus is alive. Our sins can be forgiven and we can have the hope of heaven. And for that, we celebrate today, Lord. We give you this time. Speak through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Way back in 1776, a group of men signed their names to a radical document that would change the course of this world. That document? The Declaration of Independence. And these men signed that paper knowing that they would probably have to give up their life because they put their name on that document. The final sentence of that document reads, And for the support of this declaration, and with a firm reliance and the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, I don't know what you would call that, but I would call that uh, a big step of commitment. These guys were committed. They pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. That, that made me ask the question, what have we committed that to in our life? I mean, really, what have you committed that to in your life? What have you committed your life, your fortune, and your sacred honor to? Well, history teaches over and over that it doesn't take a whole lot of people to change the world. What it does take is a committed few. Some people who are really committed to the task. Now, I don't make any apology in saying that I think our nation needs a change. Okay? Uh, I believe that our culture, the American culture, needs a cultural revolution. All right? Uh, in a place and time... When the government is paralyzed by scandals, when kids are killing other kids in school, and when nobody on the street recognizes the authority or appreciates a policeman, things are terribly wrong. But I also deeply believe that the answer is not political. You don't legislate morality. You can't pass a law and make people be nice and be good. Nor do I think or believe the answer is educational. I believe the answer is spiritual. Because change takes place in the heart. And our society will change one person at a time. In fact, the heart of the problem is really a problem of the heart. So what we need is a spiritual revival in our land. We need a spiritual awakening. And that's why I'm beginning this new series. It's going to last four weeks. I'm calling it, You Can Make a Difference. And I believe you can. I believe every person in this room, no matter what your age, your, your social status, where you work or where you live, I believe you can make a difference in your world. And it all begins with the title of, of the sermon for today. It all starts with commitment. So let me talk about commitment. Nothing happens without commitment. Commitment is really what gets the ball rolling. Commitment is what turns our dreams into reality. There are a lot of great dreamers in the world, but nothing really happens until you wake up from your dream and go to work. Hmm? 
I thought that was good. I guess you did it. But that's what commitment is all about. And your commitments really define your life. In other words, you are the sum total of your commitments. You tell me what you're committed to, and I can probably tell you the direction you're headed in life, and I can also tell you where you're going to end up. I do know this, that weak people are controlled and dominated and directed by their circumstances. While on the other hand, strong people are directed and determined by their commitments that they've made. So you better choose wisely what you're going to be committed to because that's where you're going to end up. Now, the Bible has a whole lot to say about commitment. In fact, the Bible says is that God is looking and searching for people to use. God is looking for people who can make a difference in this world, who can make this world a better place. But God has a requirement, all right? One requirement. If you want to be used by God, there is one requirement. And we read about that in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is verse number 9. This verse tells us that God is looking and searching all over the globe. In fact, at this very moment, God is glancing down on this room. And the verse tells us, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth. In order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. And so the verse tells us God is looking for people to use. But there is a requirement. You've got to be fully committed to Him. What kind of person is God going to use? God is going to use the man, woman, boy or girl whose heart is fully committed to God. So what does it mean to be fully committed to Christ? And is there a difference between being partially committed or halfway committed or casually committed and fully committed? Well, of course, the answer is yes. And today we're going to look at what it takes to be fully committed to God. What does it take to be fully committed to God so that you can make a difference in your world? Are you ready to learn that? Are you, are you, are you awake? Are you with me? All right. Five things. Number one, here's what it takes to be fully committed. You've got to begin by committing your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to commit your life to Him. Now that's foundational, church. Before anything else can happen, you've got to commit your life to God. You were put on this earth to know God. God made you with the capacity to know Him. So the first thing that I have to do is give my life back to the one who gave me life in the first place. Okay? God created me, and so I must commit my life back to Him. This is the most important issue in life. Okay? The most important decision you have to make. Now, there are other important issues, and most of you all know about the career issue. What am I going to live on? Huh? You don't get out of school very long until you figure out, you know what, I'm going to have to support myself. The gravy train has dried up, you know. And I've got to figure out a way to make some money to, to bring in some income. So the first essential question in life is, is what am I going to live on? And most people, generally speaking, figure that out. They get a job. <laughs> they go to work. They, they start a career. Uh, the, the second question is the question of marriage. Who am I going to live with? Uh, am I going to get married or am I going to stay single? 
And if I get married, who in the world would marry me? Or who would I marry? Who am I going to live with? And most people eventually figure that one out. They either stay single, which is perfectly fine, or they get married. Now, here's what I know about those first two big questions. You know what? You can mess those two up pretty bad. Do you know that? You're afraid to agree with me, but you can't. What am I going to live on and who am I going to live with? I know a lot of people who have, who have who've messed that up. They've made the wrong decision. And here's what I can tell you about that. You know what? If, if you mess those two up, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have a mess. There's a whole lot of pain and heartache and discouragement and bad days ahead of you. I mean, if you, if you pick the wrong career and you have a job you hate, it's horrible to get up in the morning and go to a job that you hate. Okay? Amen? Staff, you better not say amen to that. Right? <laughs> and you know, it's the same way. If you marry the wrong person, well, I'll, I'll pray for you. <laughs> but you know what? Those things will bring pain to your life, but they are not, they are not eternal. However... If you miss the most important question, which is question number three, who am I going to live for, that one has eternal implications. You see, heaven and hell are in the balance there. So you're going to have to choose wisely, young grasshopper. <laughs> you know? And listen, make no mistake about it, you're going to live for somebody. And there's only two choices. You either live for Jesus and choose Christ or you're going to be living for somebody else. Whether it's another person, whether it's the devil, or whether it's yourself. There's only two choices. So choose wisely. It all starts by making a commitment in your life to Jesus Christ. I commit my life to Jesus. What does it mean to commit your life to Christ? Well, Romans 10.9 tells us. It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, God made this pretty simple, didn't he? I mean, he, he, did, he didn't make it difficult. He, he didn't make it where anybody could say, you know, that's too hard for me to understand because it's pretty simple. He says, here's what you have to do if you want to be saved and commit your life to me. First of all, you must believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Okay? He died on the cross to save us from our sins. They buried him in a tomb. But three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus said, if you want to be saved, you've got to believe that with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength that Jesus is alive. And then secondly, what you've got to do is confess Jesus with your mouth. You confess, the Lord Jesus is my Savior and He is my Lord. And I have committed my life to him. And that's what it takes. You believe in your heart and you confess him with your mouth. Now, every commitment that you make in your life has a price tag attached to it. There is a cost for every commitment that you make. Along with the cost, there is a benefit. And you've got to look at that commitment and say, is the benefit worth the cost in every commitment that you make? So, what is the cost of following Jesus? And listen to me, this is so important. What is it going to cost you to follow Jesus? Everything. Okay? Everything. I'm just, I'm going to tell it to you like it is today. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, you know. It's going to cost you everything. 
You're going to have to give him your life lock, stock, and barrel. You're going to have to give him everything and hold nothing back for yourself. So what that means is, Lord, all of my dreams, all of my plans, all of my ambitions that I have made, I submit them to you. I give them to you. You know what? Here's the cool thing about it. God may allow you to keep those dreams and those plans that you've devised yourself, but with him, he'll bless them, all right? But whatever it is, you say, Lord, it's all yours. I give you my life. I give you my brain. I give you my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my hands, my feet, my heart. That's a prayer I pray every morning, David, because I mean it. Lord, take my mind, my eyes, my ears, my mouth. Take my hands, my feet, and my heart. They're not mine. They're yours. What's it going to cost you to follow Jesus? Everything. The Bible is up front and clear. If you're going to follow Jesus... It's all or nothing, man. It's all or nothing. But what's the benefit to that? Well, I've, I've written four benefits down that I can think of. Number one, you can have all your sins forgiven. <laughs> it's worth it right there, man. But you know what sin causes in your life? Guilt. You're bound to your guilt. You're bound to your past sins. I don't don't care who you are or how bad of a boy you are or you've been. You know what? Guilt can eat you alive. But Jesus is the only one who can set us free from that guilt. All of our sins can be forgiven. Every bad thing you've ever thought or done or said can be forgiven. Washed away. Taken away. Never to be held against you again. Don't you hate it when somebody holds something against you? Huh? Come on. I'm I'm sparking some marriage counseling right here. God doesn't do that to us. God doesn't hold it against us anymore. He forgives us and cleanses us. I told the first service, I don't know if you'll get this. It's like those Etch-a-Sketches back when when we were kids. Mom and Dad are gone to Florida, but when we'd go on a big trip, they'd they'd make sure we had an Etch-a-Sketch in the car. My sister and I, and we'd, you know, you do your Etch-a-Sketch. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody read Etch-a-Sketches? You can draw, doodle, do all these things. And if you mess up, what do you do? Flip it over. you got to flip it over. I don't know why. Flip it. Shake it. Flip it back over. And the slate is it's absolutely clean. So that's a benefit that God gives you. He wipes your slate clean. He forgives you of your sin. Number two, you get power for living. You know what? I, I talked about this in my series on, on Acts chapter 2. Jesus told the disciples to go to the upper room and wait and pray, wait and pray until they were endued with power from on high. Because the reason is this. He said, you can't go out and live life on your own. You've got to have my power. Okay? And when you get saved, here's what you get. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That is God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity, living inside of you. Giving you power, the Bible says, to be an overcomer. Woo! That's some good preaching right there. Benefit number two, you get power in your life, strength for living. Number three, you get a purpose in life. Life is just not some empty void where you, where you live, work, and die. I mean, he gives you a reason for living. God can give you ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment in life when you find, follow, and finish his good, acceptable, and perfect will. And that's just not a bunch of preacher mumbo-jumbo. That's real stuff, man. 
He gives you a, a burden, a, a, a desire to serve, and you serve other people and Him, and, and you get fulfillment. Then number four, the fourth benefit, you know what? When it's all said and done and you die, Russia get to go to heaven. Man, package deal, baby. That's good stuff, isn't it? Is it worth it? Yeah, I think it is. You have to make that decision on your own. But you've got to settle this first issue. Most of you have already made that first commitment. You've committed your life to Christ. If you haven't done it, I encourage you, please, do it today before you leave this building. Say, Jesus Christ, I open my life up to you. I believe that you are who you say you are, and I confess you as Lord of my life. But you know what, church? That's just the foundation. Once you've committed your life to Christ, there's so much more that God has for you. Commitment number two, to change the world. Number two, I must commit to be a member of of God's family. 1 Peter 1.3 out of the Living Bible says, God has given us the privilege of being born again. Somebody say hallelujah. What a privilege to, to be born again so that we are now members of God's own family. So here's the deal. God, God doesn't expect you to go through life without support because you need support. He never meant for you to handle all your problems on your own. So God has built this great support team around you to encourage you, other people around you to help you with life. What he's done is this, church. He has created a family. And you know what we call that family? It's the church. Your church for life. The Bible says it's a privilege to be a part of the church. And I think here in America, we take that for granted. Can I get on a hobby horse and ride it for about three seconds, huh? You can freely come and go. Nobody's going to say anything to you. You can come to Kavanaugh one week, harvest time the next, grace the next week. You, you just bump around to each church, see what they got, and enjoy the stuff. Never get plugged in, never get involved, never have a commitment on your own. And most of the time, nobody's going to say a single thing to you. You know, that's not what the church is for, though. Okay? In many countries where it's against the law to come to church and, and meet with other believers, they understand, you know what, it is a privilege to be connected to a church. It is a privilege to be a member of God's church. How many of y'all have a good memory? Raise your hand if you think you have a good Do you remember this old ad from American Express? They used to say, membership has its privileges. Remember that? Membership has its privileges. There are privileges of getting to know Jesus Christ. And the first privilege that is granted to us is that we get to be a part of God's family. Don't think it's not important. Because you need the family of God in your life. It is a privilege to be a part of the family. Just like a child without a family is an orphan... So a Christian without a church family is a spiritual orphan. And the Christian life involves more than just believing. It involves belonging. You say, well, I believe in Jesus. That's, I mean, that's great, but you know what? You need to be a part of his family too. You don't need to just believe. You need to belong. The Bible says we're not only to be committed to Christ, but we're supposed to be committed to each other. In fact, Romans 12.10 declares, be devoted to one another. God never meant for you to go through life on your own, to be a Lone Ranger Christian. Hmm? 
you commit your life to Christ, but then the next step in your spiritual growth and maturity is to commit yourself to a flock, a family, the body of Christ, the church. I'll say this, there are a lot of good churches in the River Valley. I say that without hesitation. There are a lot of good churches right around us who preach and teach God's Word. What I'm telling you is this, you need to find one that you fit in and get committed. Move from just being a spectator to being a participant. Move from being a consumer to being a contributor. Move from just being an attender to actually becoming a member. Now, you're welcome here at Cavanaugh Church. I think this is a great place, man. I was talking to a preacher friend of mine the other day, and he made a statement. He says, you know, think, I think that the acid test of whether your church is really good or not is this. If you weren't the pastor, would you attend there? I mean, I'm saying that from a preacher's perspective. If, if, if I were not the pastor of Cavanaugh Church, if I just lived here in town, would I come to this church? I would, Ronnie, because I think it's a great place. You name it, we got it, man. We're trying to reach the community, and we're doing everything we can for all age groups. We're, 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 a, we're a happening place, man. But we got our priorities right, too. We do it for the glory of God, for His kingdom, all right? And so you're welcome here at Kavanaugh. What I'm saying is this, you know, whether it's Kavanaugh or some other church, you need to find the right church for you and get plugged in. You need to make that commitment to the family of faith. Third commitment is this, if I'm going to make a difference in the world, I must make a commitment to being a model of the life of Jesus Christ. You see, when you become a Christian, God says, I want you to represent me in the way you act. I want you to model my life. So as you grow, God wants you to learn to act the way Jesus acted, to think the way Jesus thought, to feel the way about life that Jesus felt. God wants you to learn to make decisions like Jesus made decisions. God wants you to treat people the same way Jesus treated people. My belief and my behavior, my attitudes and my actions have to come under, and get this phrase, church, they have to come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Where I model His life. Where I am a Christian. In the early church, that, that phrase Christian was, was a mock term to describe the followers of Jesus. It was a slang term. It was derogatory. Oh, there's one of those Christians, a follower of Christ. Today, I think it's a privilege to be called a Christian. Problem is, do people call us that? I mean, are, are we actually modeling the life of Jesus Christ? I think this is the goal of spiritual maturity. God wants you to grow up and be just like Jesus. So how does that happen? Are you with me? Follow me here just for a second. Don't get, don't get bored. Don't go into la-la pew land, all right? How, how do I be like Jesus? Is there a Jesus pill that I can take? You like that, a Jesus pill that I can take? And the next day, all of a sudden, I'm this super saint taking a steroid Jesus pill. No, there's no such pill. 
There's no single tape, no single book, no single conference that you can go to that will all of a sudden make you a super mature believer. There's no individual experience that's going to give you a quiver in your liver feeling that makes you instantly mature where you never sin again and are never tempted. No, it doesn't work that way. You know what it is? It's a process. It is a long, hard process. In fact, we have a term to describe it in the church. It's called sanctification. That's a cool word to say, isn't it? Sanctification. Say it with me out loud. Sanctification. Now say it like you know what you're talking about. Sanctification. In fact, there, there's, there's a word that goes before it that really describes what I'm talking about here. It's called progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification means this, that every day I am becoming more like Jesus. More like the Jesus in the Bible. Every day I'm more like Jesus. So today I should be more like Jesus than I was yesterday. And tomorrow I should be more like Jesus than I am today. Progressive sanctification. And it's something that doesn't just happen. It takes a long time for it. In fact, it's going to take you the rest of your life. But the secret in becoming like Jesus is to get into the Bible. To read the book. In fact, this book has inside of it the mind of Christ. This book tells us about the attitudes and the actions of Jesus Christ. The more you get this book into your heart and your mind, the more like Jesus you're going to be. And that doesn't happen by accident. You don't just go to the bookstore, buy a Bible, set it on your coffee table, and by osmosis, it fills the room and you're spiritual. You can't tuck it under your pillow at night and put your head down on the pillow and think that it's going to seep through the pillow into your head. You say, that's crazy preacher. Well, you know what? We tried that in college one time, not, not with the Bible, but with a science book, uh, we were too lazy to study and, and stay up one night. And so I thought, hey, you know, here's a good idea. Let's just put it under the pillow. We'll sleep on it and see how we do on the test tomorrow. <laughs> it doesn't work. I mean, kids, don't try that. Do, do you know how you get this book in your mind and in your heart? You've got to be committed to it. You've got to make a commitment to it. And that's the third commitment I'm talking about today. It's the commitment to God's word. Because as I become committed to his word, I become a model of his life. So you have to dedicate your heart to the word of God. Hebrews 6.1 Let us go on and become mature in our understanding as strong Christians ought to be. Proverbs 23.12 out of the NLT Commit yourself to instruction. Attune your ears to hear words of knowledge. Now can I be a smart aleck just for a second? Y'all don't think I am a smart aleck, do you? Please, Okay, I'm, I'm not a smart aleck, but I want to be one just for a second. How, and if you feel this way, please don't answer. But how many of you believe that all the answers to all the problems that you have in your life are found on the holy television? Or how many of you believe that all the answers to life are found... On the 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock news or even in the newspaper. Hey, let me sniff over here. Have you figured out that they only tell you the stories they want to tell you? 
and the stories they want to tell you always have the slant that they want the stories to come from, all right? So that's just, I'm just, I'm, I'm vomiting that out for you today, getting it off my chest. How many of you, you believe that all your problems are found in People Magazine? Now you can answer this one. How many of you believe that the answers to life are found right here in God's Word? So let me be that smart aleck and ask, why then do we spend more time watching and reading something we don't believe than something we say we do believe? If I've got all kinds of problems and the answers to my problems are found right here in this book, why would I go watch a TV show? Doesn't make any sense. No, church, listen to me. If I've got a problem, I need to get into this book. I need to find out from this book how to think the way Jesus thought. How to deal with life the way Jesus dealt with it. The Bible says that one of the marks of maturity is that you are not only in the Word, reading the Word, learning the Word, you're actually living the Word. You're fleshing it out. 1 Timothy 4.10 They must be committed to the revealed truths of the Christian faith and they must live with a clear conscience. If I'm going to be all that God wants me to be, and if I'm going to make a difference in this world, number one, I've got to be committed to Christ. Number two, I need to be a committed part of God's family. And number three, I must make a commitment to model the life of Christ that I find in the Word of God. That brings me to commitment number four, and I only have five. So again, stay with me. Number four, I need to commit to be a minister of His grace. I'm not talking about you being a pastor. I am talking about you serving as a minister. There's an important issue at, at work here. God put you on this earth and he gave you certain gifts, talents, and abilities. And he gave you those gifts, talents, and abilities for a purpose. Number two, he expects you to use those gifts, talents, and abilities to make this world a better place. That's why you're here. That's why you can do what you can do. Number three... Whenever you use your talents, gifts, and abilities unselfishly to help other people without thought of reward, that's called ministry. And every Christian is called to minister. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you some spiritual special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other. Okay? So God has given you some special abilities. Be sure to use those abilities. Notice what it doesn't say. To retire on. It doesn't say that. Don't use your abilities to retire on. Or to become famous with. Or don't use those things to get a big ego. <laughs> he says you use those special abilities to help each other out. Wow. That is to serve. To minister. In fact, if you want to be like Jesus, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28. Your attitude needs to be like my attitude, he said. For I, the Messiah, did not come to be served, but I came to serve. That's revolutionary, isn't it? God expects you, if you're going to be like Christ, to learn to serve. Now, one day we're all going to have to stand before God and give an account of our life. That, that day, that's going to be the big question day. What have you done with Jesus? Okay. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? I don't know exactly 
what that interview process is going to look like and, and, and actually be like. But I think sooner or later, God is going to get down to this question about ministry. He's going to ask you, okay, what did you do with all of those gifts, abilities, and talents that I entrusted you with? What have you done with all the resources I have made available to you? What have you done to make this world a better place? Wow. Hey, that's something to think about, isn't it? Because if I am going to make this world a better place, I, I, I really am going to have to be a minister of His grace. And that leads me to number five. I must commit to being a messenger of His love. And, and really, this is ultimately what it's going to take to change this world. Sharing one-on-one -on -one the good news of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20 says, For God was in Christ, restoring the world to Himself. This is the wonderful message He has given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is using us to speak to others. So, let me ask you, did you know that you were an ambassador of Jesus Christ? Well, I say, well, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is simply somebody who represents somebody else. And we are his ambassador. The Bible says when you become a believer, you become an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Let me say it like this, and, and listen very closely to what I'm about to say. You are the only Bible some people are ever going to read. For people around you, you may be the only Christian they ever know, talk to, or see. And so it's our job to not only model the life of Jesus Christ, but to be a messenger of His love. God has called us to represent Him to the world. We are His ambassador. We are the ones chosen to tell the good news of the gospel. Now, I've asked myself this question this past week. Will, what is the best news you've ever heard? It could have been when Angie said yes. Probably better than that is when I went to Angie's home and asked her mother, Peggy, if she would give me her daughter in marriage. She thought about it for a long time, I'm here to tell you. But she finally said yes. What is the best news, Harmon, you've ever heard? Here, I came up with this. Here, here's the best news. The best news I've ever heard is this. That everything I've ever done wrong could be completely forgiven. And that I didn't have to earn my way to heaven. But that it is a free gift. And all I have to do is by faith open my life up to Jesus Christ. Church, I'd have to, that's the best news I've ever received right there. The world is dying to hear that message. And I can tell you this. The world is far more ready to receive that message than most of us are ready to share it. People need to know. Your neighbors, your family members need to know. Their sins can be forgiven. That God loves them. That God has a plan for their life. That heaven is a free gift. And all you have to do is open up your heart and accept God's gift based on faith in Jesus Christ. Pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, it's not that hard. You don't have to be a theologian to share the good news. It's pretty simple. God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. Jesus is the only way to heaven. I mean, simple. You can be forgiven. God's got this cool thing that he calls grace. So I don't care what you've done or where you've been or how bad you've messed up. 
His grace can cover it. And He loves you. It's what it means to be fully committed to Jesus Christ, church. It all starts when I give Him my life, lock, stock, and barrel. Give Him everything and hold nothing back for myself. When I commit myself to a church like this one and say, you know what, I'm going to get plugged in. I'm not, I'm not just going to be a consumer anymore. I'm going to be a contributor. I am going to become a member of a local body. It all happens when we model the life of Christ as we read about Jesus in the Word of God. We go out and live the life Christ has called us to live. We become a minister of His grace. We, we help other people with the resources God has given to us. And we never fail to be a messenger of His love everywhere we go. We share the good news. Yeah, listen to me. When we, when we make that commitment, when you, when you say, Lord, man, I commit myself to these five purposes. This is what I'm going to live for. When you make that commitment to God, he's going to use you. And you will make a difference. You know what? It's all going to start in your home. It's going to spread out in your neighborhood, where you go to school, where you go to work, your community, and your world. God's called you to make a difference. Will you? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless this word that we've preached. I pray that the Holy Spirit would take it and, and just really get a grip on our heart. Lord, there's someone in this room today that needs to come to faith in you. They, they need to give their heart to Jesus today. And I pray, dear Lord, that they would have the courage to come and accept that free gift of salvation. Lord, for the Christian who is here today that is away from you, they, they haven't been uh, uh, reading your word, they haven't been living for you, they've allowed other things or people to come between you and them. I pray that today, dear Lord, that they would come and recommit their life to you. Lord, for uh, all of us who need to come and pray and, and just make decisions here at the altar and make these commitments, I pray that you'd give us the freedom to come and pray today and that your Holy Spirit would work and that we would listen. I love you, Lord. Speak to my friends' hearts today who are here and help us to respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? These guys are going to sing, and I invite you to come and pray right now, would you? Come and make some commitments to the Lord.